0: Welcome back. This is another ambushed podcast, and I'm your host, host, Uh, deliverer. I don't know what you want to call me, but my name is John Chafee, and thank you for tuning in. If you've been listening since the beginning, or this is your first time checking it out, thank you for giving me, shoot, even as long as this intro just to listen to this. Today's episode, today's podcast is called, (laughs) this is a great title candles and chaos. And this one is going to be pretty much a straightforward sermon. But I want to make a little caveat at the beginning. And it's this. You don't have to be a Christian to listen to this one. You also don't have to be a every single week church going person. And in fact, if you're just interested by the person of Jesus, then today is for you. And you'll be able to see why. In a little bit, but I have a few things that I've been working on, and I actually have the outline for close to 25 new episodes, 25 new sermons, everything that will be put up on here between now and the summertime. So some of them are, I think they've got pretty good titles, like Bar Fights and Imagination. I wanted to do another one in Reclaiming, but this one's called Reclaiming Ecclesia and this last one is Frank was a Eurodivia which I may have be pronouncing that poorly but that is a Russian word that I'll explain when I get around to that episode but today is called Candles and Chaos and I hope you that, I hope that you enjoy it so <laughs> let's dive right in I don't really have any other big news to say but I do have a website. It's at uh, www.thatjohnchaffee.com, and I have a Twitter at the same account. And I have enjoyed doing some of these things. I've really enjoyed having this as a creative outlet, and it's really nice to be able to put stuff out there just trying to help the world be a better place in some capacity. So thank you for listening. I, I mean that quite seriously. It's a privilege that anyone would take the time to listen to this. But as I said before, let's just dive right on in. So uh, I have been working on a talk uh, that I will be giving at the church I work at. It, It won't happen for a little more than a month, but it's fascinating. I'm still pulling stuff out for it. And I already have a a part two that I'll be giving probably in September, and it's amazing to work that far out on a talk and make it an hour and a half of really quality content. But this talk I'm giving at the beginning of March, uh, it's about how we view... Media, it's about TV and movies and commercials and billboards and all of these things, and that's a topic that I really uh, enjoy because I think it's really an important one to pay attention to. And as I was going through and preparing for some of this, I just took down a, a quick note to check this one thing out, and I finally got around to checking the one thing out, and it exploded with tons of meaning and depth that I didn't know it had before. So, for instance, today's sermon is really just going to be all around one single parable. And if you know me, I really enjoy parables. <laughs> and in the Buddhist tradition, they're called cones, K-O-A-N-S, they're like paradoxical statements that that kind of challenge us. In Hebrew, they're called mashalim or mashal, if it's the singular. And they have to do with allegories and, and short little anecdotes that help to flesh out a larger meaning. They're kind of like Aesop's fables. Apparently, all of human history has relied on these things to pass down wisdom. And so I'm going to go through a parable That's from the Sermon on the Mount. Now, before I get into it, let me explain why I don't think you need to be a Christian in order to learn from this or to to find something worthwhile to apply. And Cynthia Bourjol, who I've had the opportunity to meet a number of months ago, put out a really fantastic book called The Wisdom Jesus. And in there, it's all about the parables and the wisdom and the ethics of Jesus and how it really, that whole collection are really just transformative and they challenge everything. And so she makes a little uh, comparison or she sets things up as though we either talk about Jesus in soteriological terms, um, but not really in sophiological. So those are massive words. Let me explain. Uh, When the person of Jesus is made out to be only about saving the world, then that means you're focusing on soteriological approaches of Jesus. You're only concerned with how he saves things. And then you sometimes are prone to overlooking the deep wisdom of the Jesus movement, of what he started And the teachings that he gave to his disciples that have now been passed down throughout history. And so Cynthia, she calls it sophiological. Sophia meaning wisdom and logical meaning words. That Jesus was a person with an incredible amount of wisdom. But when you focus on Jesus as Savior, sometimes you exclude Jesus as a wisdom teacher. Now, There might be a few reasons for this. One, we may not want to employ the ethics or the wisdom of Jesus because it's difficult and it might cause us to really have to throw our lives into the good kind of upheaval in order to reorder it better. But there's another side, and it's that in the West, Western civilization, we don't really have a category for a wisdom teacher. We have categories for normal teachers where they just transmit knowledge to one generation to the next, but the idea of being a wisdom teacher rather than an information teacher, we don't quite have that. Now granted, maybe some pastors fulfill that role and some people take time to sit down with a spiritual director and that's wonderful but in the west we're kind of foreign to the idea of a wisdom teacher that maybe is a little bit more common in the middle east where the story of christianity started so that being said even if you are not a church-going person even if you don't consider yourself a christian I, i think that's okay you can still glean something from The Wisdom of the Traveling Rabbi, who was Jesus. So I'm just going to read a quick parable and then let it flow. And I think you'll see what I mean. So it comes from the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 6. The Sermon on the Mount is the Gospel of Matthew's way of painting Jesus kind of like a figure similar to Moses. Moses came down from Sinai with Ten Commandments and here's Jesus on a mountaintop with a new kind of law, a new interpretation of the law, rather. And so, he gives this parable. It goes like this. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Now that's it. It's a short parable and it certainly doesn't have seemingly a whole lot on the surface of it all. But as I've had the opportunity to look at it over the past week, some things really started to stand out to me. So when I've heard this parable talked about in the past, some people have talked about the eyes or the lamp of the body in such a way that the eyes are the window. Maybe you've heard that phrase before, that the eyes are the windows to the soul or something. And maybe that comes from here. I don't know. But that's, that's not a good translation to say the eyes are the window. But it is kind of odd to say the eyes are lamps, as if they, they give off light. So this is a this is kind of a confusing parable, of course. What do you mean the eyes give off light? Well... Another translation could also be candle. And if you think about back in the day, in ancient near Eastern Israel, they certainly did not have light bulbs or electricity. And so the way they got around at night was by holding up a torch or a lantern or a candle to light the way. And so the candle would lead the way for the rest of your body to follow. If you held up a lantern in the dark, it was probably leading the way, not behind you as you're walking around. And so I think this parable kind of unlocks when you realize that, because if you were to understand it as the eye is the candle that leads the way, that's a little better. Then it starts to make sense. The eyes lead the way. So I think that this ties into TV and music and movies and billboards and commercials and music videos, YouTube, all of these things. It sounds a little cliche, but be careful of what leads your way. What you look at and what you listen to leads the way. And so if your eyes are looking towards things or if your ears are listening for things that are not helpful, it, you really shouldn't be too surprised if the rest of you follows. Because in American culture, I think we're encouraged to consume without a conscience. We're, in, we're encouraged to just watch movies and never reflect on what we just saw. We're encouraged to watch TV or Netflix or something and not care what we're actually watching. We'll watch because it's entertaining, but that's still not the same as saying, is this helpful for me? And so we overlook this little simple truth that everything is formation. Everything forms you. Everything that you look at, everything that you listen to, it shapes you in some capacity. And so in this little parable where it says, The eyes are the lamp of the body. Oh. Today's culture, we've got that to an extreme of what they maybe had back then. So that kind of makes sense, but that's not the part of the parable that really jumped out at me. It was the second part. What does it mean that the body can be full of darkness? And at first, I, I didn't know what to do with this because, what do you mean, the eyes are the candle and they light the inside of the body. I don't understand what's going on. But this is wisdom tradition. This isn't supposed to be just information. You're supposed to pull this apart for the meaning that's behind it all. Now, whenever you read uh, the Old or New Testament, it's really fascinating to pay attention to this one one principle. And it's first association so rabbis and other spiritual directors and people trying to make commentaries on all of this content would say all right this is a passage about dirt where is the first time dirt is mentioned and then they would look back and say oh it has to do with adam or adam which means dirt so they're from the um From the first association, it helps you to understand every other mention of the word dirt uh, after that. So let's see if you can do this. Where do you remember the first time darkness comes up? So if this parable finishes with, if then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Think about it. Where's the first time that darkness shows up in the Hebrew scriptures? Well, it's right before the voice says, let there be light. Maybe it doesn't say darkness, but darkness is there because what is there before there's light? There's darkness. And in Genesis 1, it says that God created The heavens and the earth but it even says before that there was a dark and watery chaos it was swirling and it was uncontrolled and then god put his boundaries on it acknowledged it put boundaries to it put it to the side and then began creating let there be light you see darkness actually has a primal association Not only that, but it's connected with the chaos that God acknowledges and puts boundaries upon. And so here it goes. If your eyes are heading in the wrong direction and it's leading your body, if it's leading the rest of you towards darkness, then you should have no, uh, you shouldn't be surprised if your life is filled with chaos with that same chaos that was there at the beginning of the whole story. And so what does it mean that you let your eyes lead the way backwards rather than forwards, that you're headed back to that primal chaotic darkness that happened before creation in Genesis one, rather than looking towards all the creative stuff that's headed towards us in the future. Isn't that crazy? So this whole reference of darkness may actually have a reference back to the prehistory before creation. Oh, man. But here's the thing. Everything is formation. And so fill your life with what is good, what is beautiful, what is true, what is lovely. And you may just find that the primal darkness and the primal chaos will be restrained, contained, and not a part of your life. You see, this is one of those instances where the Christian movement has sometimes overemphasized uh, the soteriological and overlooked the sophiological. That it has focused maybe on Jesus as being the one that saves the world to the exclusion of also learning from some of this incredible wisdom that can happen in only what is this two verses in the middle of chapter 6 on the Sermon on the Mount in the book of Matthew so what does this mean well for you and for I I think it means we have to pay attention be mindful because we are affected by everything that we encounter and I don't remember who told it to me, but when you interact with someone, you're not interacting with a person. You're actually interacting with a whole world. Because let's say I have a conversation with you and I say something that agitates you in a bad way. Well, you might reply with your own opinion or you might reply with something that your dad would have said or your uncle would have said. Or your grandmother would have said. And so every one of us are somehow also the summation of all the voices that have helped to shape us. And so I think the wisdom of this parable is be careful of what you allow to shape you because everything will shape you. And so use wisdom to know when to turn something off. To turn off the radio, to change the station, to pay attention to what you allow to shape you. Because you and I both know that the world has got a lot of problems in it that feel dark and chaotic. But it's because we allow so many things to be influences on us and on the next generation that it just allows these influences to continue shaping us and our children and our grandchildren and so forth. Now, the best part about all of this is you can shift. There is a way of turning, but the turning has always got to be towards the future and it's got to be turned towards creating, uh, being creative. And so Let's say your life is filled with bad art. Be one of those people that helps create good art. Stuff that that really challenges the world to be better. <laughs> it's It's a profound thing that it is in our hands to shape the world. But one of the hard things that we don't realize is one of the ways that tomorrow gets shaped is with yesterday's bad media, with yesterday's bad television, yesterday's bad commercials and music and all of these things. Mm -hmm. So all this goes to say, be careful. Who you become is up to you. And the things that you allow to shape you will shape you. You're not invincible and neither is anyone else. And so be careful of the voices that you let speak to you, the movies that you watch, the music that you hear, the YouTube that you click on, whatever, because all of these things are formation and these will impact not only who you are today, but who you will be in five months who you will be in two years, who you will be in 10. And so be careful, because the eye is the lamp of the body. And so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. This was candles and chaos. May grace and peace be with you.